Welcome to a new series of Ministry Talks. Um, as you might have seen in the note that David King um, sent round, um, we're going to be working our way through um, Paul's letter to the, to the Church of God in, um, in Rome. And I had intended to give you a, a long in introduction um, this evening to this letter to help uh, set the scene for what we're going to be studying together. But by the time I'd finished preparing my little history lesson, uh, I realised that there wouldn't be enough time to say much about the passage. Um, so maybe it will suffice if I just say um, that at the time of writing, um, although the church in Rome had probably started off being mostly Jewish, um, by now, it was probably mostly made up of Gentile believers. Uh, but regardless of the of the proportions of Jews and Gentiles, there was probably still a mix of Jews and Gentiles in the Church of God in Rome. And you might notice that um, some of Paul's letters seems to have a Christian Jewish audience in mind. And sometimes he seems to be writing more to Gentile believers. And I think maybe we should just keep that in mind because it might help us um, understand what Paul is, is getting at at times. The other um, important thing to know, and it's very clear, uh, um, we'll, we'll see in the first chapter that we're gonna read, um, is that Paul's never been there before. This letter isn't a follow-up letter from an earlier visit. It was Paul's way of introducing himself in the hope that he would be able to visit them sometime soon. But at the time of writing, they didn't know him. And he wanted them to know who he was, what he believed in, and, and why he wanted to visit them. Now, if you or I were writing a letter of introduction about ourselves, we might only need a few paragraphs. I'd, I'd probably need a lot less than that. Um, but, but Paul goes much further. And uh, this letter is, is far more than Paul just introducing himself. It contains some, some deep and important teaching, as we'll see as we go through our our programme over the following weeks. Now, with so much teaching, we might pick up on several themes as we go through Romans and various um, scholars have suggested that there are all sorts of different themes as a main theme um, in Romans or at least important themes. But I think there's a, a sort of general agreement that the overarching theme is simply the gospel, as Paul um, calls it right from the very start of this passage what it is and how we, we should respond to it. And we'll be looking at the doctrines of the gospel in more detail as we go through our study. But this week, I think we're just gonna, I'm just gonna touch on some of the gospel doctrine. I mean, very, very briefly, because what I'd like to focus on is the thing that Paul talks about right from his very first sentence. He talks about his call, how God had called him to do something. And maybe we'll see if there are any lessons that we can learn with regard to our own call in that. So let's read the passage. It's not the whole of the chapter. We're reading the first um, 16 verses. I'm reading from the New International Version as usual. Verse one, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David and who, through the spirit of holiness, was appointed the son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead 
Jesus Christ, our Lord. Through him, we received grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his namesake. And you also are among those Gentiles who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who were loved by God and called to be his holy people. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is being reported all over the world. God whom I serve in my spirit in preaching the gospel of his son is my witness how constantly I remember you in my prayers at all times and I pray that now at last by God's will the way may be open for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I plan many times to come to you, but I have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. I'll leave it there. <clears throat> so there's, 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 there's loads in there that we could talk about. So we, you know, and, we, and I, I can't just, just can't talk about everything in that, in that, in that passage. We could have a, a mini ministry on, 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 on several of those, those verses on things I'm not gonna talk about. But as I said at the beginning, Romans, um, it's, a, it's a letter of introduction, at least, at, at least for starters. Paul begins Romans as a letter of introduction and he's explaining what he believes about the gospel. And doing that is all part of Paul setting out his credentials to this church who didn't really know him at all. They might have heard about him, but they certainly didn't know him. And he talks about the gospel. But before he does that, the first thing he talks about is his calling. And there are three aspects of that calling that I'm, I'm going to touch on. Um, before I do that. What do we mean by calling? We use these, we throw these words around sometimes, don't we? Let's just pause for a moment and think, what do we mean by a calling? Because you hear it in, 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 in um, sometimes in everyday language and, and often not by people who have any religious faith, people talk about their calling. You know, sometimes the word is used in that very general sense to simply describe what people do, their profession, their trade, their purpose. And I guess that when the word's used in that way, people are saying that maybe their role in life has in some way been affected by a whole load of external things. You know, they might have been influenced by their parents or their friends, or it might have been because of their skills or education or even disabilities and life experiences and other personal preferences. Or maybe they'd seen a need for something to be done. Um, people feel the call to become human rights lawyers or nurses or charity work and, and so on. And we might describe those factors and how we feel that we should respond to them as some kind of calling, even if we can't point to a specific occasion when we heard the call, um, so to speak. But some people would reserve that word calling just for something which is 
very specific and very clear. And I looked it up in a dictionary and it, it defines a calling as a strong inner impulse towards a particular course of action, often, although not always, accompanied by a conviction of divine influence. And that's more like the kind of calling that Paul felt. Although I should say that we all have a calling, all of us, whether we feel it or not. And I am going to talk a little bit about that um, later on. But to be clear, the kind of calling which is more about how we feel about the kind of work that we should do or not do um, isn't really a calling, is it? It's more the case that we just feel drawn to something. And although the influences may be external, the feeling is still coming from within ourselves, isn't it? It's, it's not an external calling. Now, of the many influences which might affect how you and I feel and about our own decision-making, um, divine influence is certainly one of them in the sense that through God's word and the Holy Spirit, we know what type of people we should be. We know how we should behave. We know the kind of things that we should do and care about. And as God's work within us has the power to shape our lives, we might feel drawn to certain types of work. We might feel that we've found our calling in a similar way as other people feel about their secular employment. That, that, that makes sense. Um, but that's not what Paul's talking about. He's saying that the Lord Jesus is the one who spoke directly to him and appointed him, as we, we read in verse one, to be firstly an apostle and second, to be set apart for the gospel. And that's a much more specific type of calling, isn't it? Let's just read very briefly in, in Acts chapter nine. You don't have to come with me to, to this, but this is, the, this is what Paul's referring to. In Acts chapter nine, I'm just gonna read a few verses. Meanwhile, Saul, as he was called then, was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So that was pretty specific and pretty direct and pretty clear, wasn't it? And that's the key thing here is that Paul experienced something which was dramatic, clear and precise. It wasn't just a good feeling. He didn't just drift into a new role by trial and error. He was going in one direction with a good idea of what he was going to do with his life. And the Lord intervened, stopped him in his tracks and gave him some very precise instructions. I'm not saying that every specific call from God to Christians since and Christians today is accompanied with bright lights and voices from heaven. Of course it isn't. But Saul as he was called, as I say, was left in no doubt that the Lord was speaking to him. And maybe that's a test that we can apply if you or I ever feel that God is calling us to do something extraordinary, something more than the general call 
which applies to all Christians, which I'm going to come on to a little bit a bit later. It should be something clear and precise where we are left in no doubt that God is calling us to do something. And of course, most people don't experience that because if it wasn't, if everyone experienced it, it wouldn't be extraordinary. And um, of the many Christians in Paul's day, you know, Paul had a unique experience um, that not even the, the, other, the other apostles um, had. So it is something, in Paul's case, something very unusual. But Paul referred to his calling when he gave testimony before King Agrippa. Um, and we get a little bit more detail there of what the Lord said to him, because Luke didn't record it all. Um, didn't tell us the whole story. I'm just going to very briefly just read a couple of verses from from um, Acts 26, because it does give us a little bit of important extra information. So 26 and verse 15. So Paul's breaking it. I'm breaking into the story here. This is Paul talking to King Agrippa. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you've seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. So there's more detail there. And, and Paul could say, again, uh, that this call was very specific. And it wasn't just specific in terms of the Great Commission. It wasn't just the fact that he'd been called to preach the gospel. He had a very specific mission objective. He was to take the gospel to the Gentiles. So I think there are three aspects of Paul's calling which... Um, you know, which, which we should which, which we should know. Uh, firstly, he was called to be an apostle. That was in verse one of our passage. He was called to be set apart for the gospel, also in verse one. And as we just read, he was called to a ministry among the Gentiles. Now, I just want to talk very briefly about about each of those. First one, what do we mean when we say that Paul was called to be an apostle? In the New Testament, the word apostle is usually reserved for those who had been with Jesus throughout his earthly ministry. And we can see that criteria in Acts chapter one when they chose Matthias. I remember they had to choose a replacement for Judas to make up the original number of 12. And you might remember they actually shortlisted two men before they chose uh, Matthias. So it's clear that they, well, it's clear that they thought that there was more than one person who had the credentials to be an apostle and um, the other guy and I've forgotten his name um, but there was another contender um, but they chose Matthias but the fact that they didn't choose two of them clearly shows that the original apostles thought there should only be 12 and maybe that's part of the reason why Paul had a hard time establishing his credentials he didn't meet the original um, criteria and by the way there wasn't even a vacancy because they already had 12 but Paul claimed something that Matthias couldn't claim. And Paul writes about this in Galatians 1. He said he was an apostle sent not from men and not by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. You know, being an apostle is, is a big deal. And, 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 and um, 
the reason why I'm just exploring how clear and um, um, absolute was Paul's call to this role is that being apostle was was huge. Um, quite simply, the role of an apostle came with an immense amount of authority. It says in Ephesians chapter two, their teachings were part of the foundation of the new Christian religion. Some of their writings would eventually become viewed as scripture. And today, and actually for many hundreds of years, those, those scriptures have been viewed as the word of God. It's a huge thing to be an apostle and a huge thing for Paul to claim without any endorsement from the original apostles at the beginning that he'd been called to that role. The Pharisee who had once persecuted the church had become a significant part of its foundation. And is there, is there anything relevant for us in this? Yes, I think there's a great encouragement for us to know that when God calls, he doesn't always call those who, who we might think are the natural choice. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians, God's power was shown all the more in what Paul felt was his own weakness and unsuitability for what he'd been called to. So that was the first aspect of Paul's call to be an apostle. The second aspect was being set apart for the gospel. It was to be his absolute priority. It was his focus. It was his full time occupation. And none of us are called to be part time Christians, of course, you know, the expression Sunday Christians that doesn't apply to us does it um, but there is a sense in which we're all set apart for the gospel and I think that Paul is differentiating himself here from other Christians set apart from the gospel in the way that we are um, but have other occupations Paul was in the same sense as we recognize some in churches of God today he was a full-time ministering brother he was called to a full-time role. Now, as an apostle, clearly Paul had a big role already, that foundation role in, in, in teaching and defining the practices of the early churches. And he had a role in ensuring compliance as well with the teachings and practices. We often find in his letters that he's either endorsing good behavior or condemning bad behavior. And all of that is consistent with the Great Commission of Matthew 28. Remember, the Lord said that we should make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that the Lord has commanded. So every, all of that apostle stuff was very much in keeping with his calling and the Great Commission. But Paul felt his call was more specific than that. He saw himself very much as a missionary taking the gospel to those who knew nothing of the grace of God. And when we talk about the gospel, we sometimes use that phrase, the whole counsel of God, which means that the gospel is more than just how to get saved, doesn't it? It includes the obedience bit that we just thought about, obedience to all the Lord's te um, teachings. And it was Paul that used that phrase, the whole counsel of God. We find it in Acts chapter 20. Um, Paul's ministry certainly included the teaching of believers and the nurturing of churches. But in Acts 20, he also described what he felt was the focus of his mission. He said, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And that's what we see in Paul's missionary journeys. 
He was a pioneer. That's why he was planning to go to Spain after he'd been to Rome, because no one had been to Spain yet, to his knowledge with the gospel. Um, and actually, we read about this particular focus that he had in Romans 15, and we'll get on to that sometime next year in our study, um, when he says that it had always been his ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. So Paul wasn't involved in a sort of um, multi-church mission outreach with you know, lots of people working together and, and um, lots of follow-up work. Um, Paul was, as, as he says in 1 Corinthians 3, he felt that his role was more about planting the seed and then he left others to water it, confident that ultimately it's God who makes it grow. And on that last point, God's work in the gospel, it's very clear that Paul never lost sight of the fact that the gospel is God's work. We should never lose sight of that either, should we? Like Paul, we can use our gifts and opportunities and resources to get the message to the people that we come into contact with. But the work of conversion, uh, someone being convicted of their sin and, and, and being brought to faith, that's the work of God, isn't it? And Paul said in verse 16 that the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. It's God's work. We have the privilege of being involved in it, but ultimately it's God's work. Paul had a real pride in the gospel, didn't he? And by that I mean he, he felt it was a tremendous honour to be employed by God in taking such an amazing and powerful message to our world uh, in such need, in such need as it was then and, and in such need as, as it is today. And he said he wasn't ashamed of the gospel. In verse 15, he said that he was very eager to preach it. And I guess there's a challenge in that, isn't there, to our own hearts about what our own enthusiasm is for sharing the gospel with others. Paul, Paul said that the gospel is the good news message promised throughout the Old Testament, um, through the prophets, as we, we read in verse 2. And uh, central to that message is the Lord Jesus himself. In verses 3 to 5, Paul says that the gospel is regarding God's son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's important, isn't it, that we always keep the Lord Jesus central to the message yes we might hang our message on all sorts of topics that give us a way into what we want to say personal circumstances current affairs all that kind of stuff uh, and there are many aspects of the gospel that we might want to talk about depending on who we're talking to or what question we might have been asked we might talk about sin or eternal life or forgiveness or uh, the opportunity to be part of a lovely church community and, and so many other things but we need to keep bringing it back to the lord don't we it's all about having a new relationship with him. I suggested earlier that maybe there are tests we can um, apply. And I'm just noticing my time has kind of, kind of gone. I think we take a summer off from ministry and all of a sudden I've completely lost the ability to keep, keep to any kind of time. Um, if you'll permit me just to go on a little, a little bit, bit longer <laughs> and rather than just miss um, a big chunk out. A little chunk out. I won't go on for much longer. Um, so I suggested that maybe there are tests that we can we can apply if we ever think like God is calling us to do something special. And and specificity is one of the, is one of those things. Um, 
But let's just look at a few other things about, about Paul's call, just very briefly, that kind of confirmed to us that Paul's call was genuine. And I think it's important that we know this because, as I said earlier, a we place a huge amount of reliance on Paul's, Paul's teaching and Paul's writing. It makes up most of the New Testament. So we want to be sure that he's the real deal, don't we? That, he's, that he wasn't faking it for some ulterior motive or some you know, other prophet or, or whatever. Um, so let's just think about a few things that we might use to test Paul's calling. First of all, his call was to reach out to the Gentiles, those who knew little or nothing of all the things that Paul happened to be an expert in. Which is a bit strange, isn't it? Of all people, Paul would have been, we would have thought, best suited to take the gospel to the Jews. But I think in that strangeness, we have something which points to his call being genuine. We tend to work to our strengths, but God works to our weaknesses. Paul never would have chosen any aspect of his calling by his own will but he was called by the God of the unexpected. Secondly, we then have this extraordinary testimony that he gave before King Agrippa. And, and prior to that, in Acts 22, we also hear him telling the same story to a hostile crowd in Jerusalem. My point is this. Uh, do you remember we did a study of a book um, called Just Walk Across the Room um, a few years ago um, and uh, written by a guy called Bill Hybels. In that book, he talks about the weird God experience, okay? The kind of supernatural encounter with God that we might feel that we've had, and if we have one and tell others about it, it just makes us sound weird. And Hybels suggests that when we first talk to someone about the gospel, that if we feel that we've had an experience like that, like someone, like we feel that God spoke to us in a dream and told us to speak to a certain person, that we don't tell them. Right. We, we leave out any weird God experiences, at least at the beginning, from our testimony. So we don't sound too weird. Remember, King Agrippa wasn't persuaded by Paul's argument in the end and actually thought that Paul was a bit mad. But Paul didn't tone down his testimony before Agrippa or the crowd. Why? Because it was the truth. And he wasn't concerned what people thought about him. And he wasn't trying to win any favours. He didn't care about what he was going to suffer for the sake of the gospel. He told the truth because he was absolutely convicted that's what God wanted him to say. And he trusted God to use his testimony, no matter how weird it sounded. Third thing, another evidence of Paul's call being genu um, genuine was that there was nothing in it for him. Um, I won't say much more about this except in Galatians 1. If you read Galatians 1, he talks about he had a promising career and it was ruined by the gospel. Yeah, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was going places. and All of that was ruined when um, he chose to become a Christian. So uh, in Paul's case, so certainly the, there was certainly no profit for him in worldly terms of, um, of, of in the gospel. And the fourth thing is just um, to mention that the road to Damascus experience, it wasn't Paul on his own. There were other people with him. And although they might have only been able to um, corroborate some parts of the story, we do, of course, have Ananias, Ananias, that poor Christian who was sent in fear and trembling to the assassin Paul to, um, to meet him at, at God's instruction because God told Ananias that Paul had been called. So we have that confirmation from somebody else. And my point here is simply that when God calls people to special and significant responsibilities, we often find that he calls 
uh, or he confirms that call through other people as well, so there's no doubt. So that was Paul, and some of that might apply to people today who are called to full-time roles or other very special missionary um, responsibilities. They, God does call individuals to the unique and extraordinary things today. But what about the most of us? What's our call? You know, we might not have a special calling in the way that Paul did, um, but we do have a calling, each one of us. And he talked about it in the passage. In verse five, through him, we receive grace and apostleship to call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his own namesake. We are among those Gentiles called, aren't we? We're called to the obedience which comes from faith. We're called to belong to the Lord and we're called to be God's holy people. They were the things that we read in those few verses earlier. So I'm out of time, but let me just summarize very briefly what Paul's saying about our call here. We're called to a life of faith and obedience. You can't have one without the other. You can't have obedience with, without faith, of course, nothing to be obedient to, but you can't have um, faith without obedience. That doesn't make sense either, which is the point that Paul and um, James make so well in his letter. And the obedience bit is referring to every aspect of our lives where we have instruction in the scriptures, the things we should do and the things we should avoid. We're called to live godly lives, pleasing to God in every respect. We're called to belong to the Lord Jesus. We're called into a new relationship with him. It starts with the initial call to faith in the gospel um, but it goes further than just being saved. We belong to him. And just like people in any close relationship, as well as enjoying all the security and blessings of that relationship, we, we should always be trying to do the things which please him. And thirdly, finally, we're called to be a people, called to be his holy people, we read. And there's an overlap here with the other two, isn't there? Holiness in our day-to-day -day lives is a natural outcome of obedience. And the fact that we're not just a holy people, but we're his holy people reminds us that we belong to the Lord. But the extra bit I think that Paul's highlighting here when he talks about us being a people is that we're not called to serve God in isolation. We are called to serve together. We're called into church communities. So, as I said, even if we don't have a specific call like Paul, which is the case for most Christians, God has still called each one of us to do something very special. And there's a lot we, we can and should do in response to that calling. And if there's anything we can learn from those who do feel that they've got any kind of calling in this world, whether it's from God or whether it's a more secular calling, like I was saying earlier, is that most people who feel they have a calling take it very seriously, don't they? Whether it's a vet or a doctor or a social worker or a lawyer or a missionary or other full-time church workers, people who feel that they have a calling don't treat it like an ordinary job. It becomes their, their, their purpose in life, their, their reason for being. And maybe there's an encouragement for all of us in that. And my final comment is that our Christianity is not just something that we do. And it's not just a job that we have when we're serving the Lord. It's something that we're called to be. And may God help us to see that and feel that in every aspect of our day-to-day -day lives.